Well, it's good to see all of you. We're going to, we're going to do something today. We're going to finish our teaching through the book of Acts. But don't fret. Stay around. Next year, right after Easter, we'll pick up where we left off. So we're going to finish Acts chapter 5. And then a year from now, Lord willing, we'll pick up in Acts chapter 6. So, hey, I've entitled the, this message, It's All Good. Look to your neighbor and tell them, it's all good. Right? may not look that way on the outside, but it's going to end up that way. Why? Because all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. You know, sometimes uh, bad news is really good news in disguise. I'll say that again. Sometimes in life, bad news that we think is bad news is really good news in disguise. Uh, there's a story that illustrates that. There were these two women. They hadn't seen each other for a long time, so they had a lot of catching up to do. So the first woman said to the second woman, she said, so how's life going for you? And she said, I just got married. And the other woman said, good news. And then the woman responded, no, not really. He's ugly. And she said, oh, that's bad news. And then she said, no, not really, because he's rich. And she goes, that's good news. And then she said, no, not really, because he only spends money on himself. She said, that's bad news. And the other woman said, no, not really, because he built us a beautiful home to live in. And she said, that's good news. And then the woman said, no, it's really bad news, because the house burned down. And she said, that's bad news. And she said, no, it's good news. He was in it. <laughs> and she said, that's bad news. She said, no, it isn't. He left everything to me. <laughs> so sometimes bad news is good news in disguise. In Acts 5, if you were here last week, in the first 11 verses, we talked about the story of Ananias and Sapphira and how they dropped dead in church because they lied to the Holy Ghost, right? Well, what happens now in verse 12 through, throughout the remaining verses in chapter 5 is a mini revival is breaking out, right? And you say, well, that's good news. Well, I don't know, right? Because the apostles are arrested. And you're like, bad news. No, not really, because an angel in the middle of the night comes and delivers them. You're like, that's good news. But hold on. Uh, they start preaching Jesus again, and they get rearrested. You're like, that's bad news. But hold on. They do get released a second time. You're like, that's good news. And they kept preaching the message of Jesus, even though they had been arrested, even though they had been flogged. That is the best News. So we're going to look at this story. Uh, it begins in chapter uh, 5 of Acts, verse 12. And as I was meditating on this, four themes kind of just came to my heart, came to the surface of my heart. Uh, we're going to talk about the miracles. We're going to talk about the message. We're going to talk about the madness. And then we're going to talk about the Messiah. Because everything begins and ends with Jesus. And chapter 5 of Acts ends with Jesus. It's absolutely an amazing story that unfolds. And it begins... In verse 12, here we go, the miracles. Uh, verse 12, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly. Say that with me. And all the believers were meeting regularly. They were meeting how often? Say it with me, regularly. That's a hard word to say early in the morning, isn't it? Look to your neighbor and say, regularly. Okay, so we come to church, and we meet together regularly, and they did it at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade, verse 13. But no one else dared join them 
even though all the people had high regard for them. Why? Because you weren't going to join that church unless you were serious to join, join that church because, like, people dropped dead during worship in that church, right? So only the sincere seekers join. Look at verse 14. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. What an exciting time. People were joining the church because they were joining themselves to Jesus. They were, they were surrendering their life over to Jesus. Did you know last night, at the end of our Saturday night service, we baptized 28 people in our, in our baptismal uh, in Trinity Central. 28 people made a public profession of their faith in Christ. Did you know year to date, year to date, since the beginning of this year, we have water baptized 500 people. Come on, Trinity. That's something to be excited about. 500. Absolutely amazing. Verse 15. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats, get this, so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Can you imagine Peter, who just a couple of months earlier was denying that he even knew Jesus? Ended up weeping and crying because he felt so bad, and yet Jesus uh, restored Peter and picked Peter back up. And now Peter's standing strong in Jesus, not in his own strength, but in Jesus. And now he has so much of God in him, so much of God in him that his shadow is healing people. Now, you know you got a lot of God in you when your shadow touches somebody and they get blessed. I mean, oh, that's awesome. Now, there's a guy in the Old Testament, a prophet, Elisha. He had so much of God in him, after he died and was buried, right, he still had so much of God in his bones. He's already dead, right, in paradise. He had so much of God in his bones that they threw a dead soldier on the prophet's bones, and the dead man came to life. <laughs> How would you like to be raising people from the dead even after you're long gone? <laughs> your bones, your bones are raising, God's using your bones to raise people from the dead. You see, we need to come to a place in our life where we have so much of Jesus that's oozing out of us, right? That even our shadow, man, our shadow touches somebody and they get blessed by our shadow. Now, uh, there, are, there are declarative and normative stories in Acts. Uh, a declarative story is it's declared by Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell the story, but it doesn't become a norm. It's not something that, that now from now on, people that, that have God in their life, their shadow heals people. I mean, oh, God can heal somebody through you uh, any way he chooses. Usually it's by the spoken word or lay hands on the sick and they shall recover or, or ministering love, grace, and healing in someone's life. It's ultimately Jesus that's the healer, but he could use whatever he chooses to use. On this special occasion and only on this special occasion did he use Peter's shadow. Now you have to clarify that because if not, you'll have the first church of Peter's shadow that will start up in America. And, and then there'll be somebody inevitably on Christian television saying, Send me your money, and I will bottle you up my shadow, and when you open, the shadow will heal you. And people are like, yeah, send Anyway, so you know what I'm talking about? I mean, no, in the kingdom of God, there are no gimmicks. There are no gimmicks, but just because some people try to peddle gimmicks, it doesn't mean that that, that, that just because there are counterfeits out there, doesn't mean that the real doesn't exist. The real does exist, and here's what's real. Jesus is still healing people. Jesus is still setting people free. 
Jesus is still delivering people. Why? Because the Son of Man came that he might destroy the works of the devil, it says in 1 John. And then in Acts 10, 38, it says how Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So everything that whatever Jesus used to do, he can still do. And then Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 12, he said this. He said, the works that I do, you shall do in greater works because I go to the Father. So the apostles were simply taking Jesus at his word. They were not the healers. Jesus, through the apostles, were, was the one doing the healing. But they were the vessel allowing God to use them. And I pray that you would be that vessel that would allow God to use you to bring healing, to bring deliverance in the lives of others. And it goes on to say, verse 16, Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits. And they were all healed. How beautiful is that? They were, they were all healed. So what is a miracle? David, David Hume, the Scottish philosopher, once stated, a miracle is not a violation of the laws of nature, but the introduction of a new agent. A new agent. You see, the world was disrupted by Satan. The world was disrupted by sin. And therefore, God is required to intervene at times to invalidate that disorder. Not to validate, but to invalidate that disorder. So miracles happen and, and when God momentarily normalizes the negative effects of the disruption of sin in our world. Uh, I was thinking about a series I did a long time ago, and I found a quote that I gave in one of my messages back in 2004. And, and you know you're old when you're quoting yourself over a decade ago. Uh, but, but here's the quote, right? Miracles are God's signature upon his creation that he is sovereign. What's a miracle? It, it, it's, it's God's signature upon creation that he indeed is sovereign. He indeed is all-powerful. You know, here at Trinity, we believe that God is still performing miracles. We believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they're still in operation uh, in, in the life of the church. They were not cessationists. Cessationists believe that the gifts died when the Apostle John died. They were for the apostolic age, but they are for no longer. And so miracles don't happen. Some teach that miracles do not happen. Well, if miracles don't happen, how... How, does pe how do people get saved? <laughs> Salvation itself is a miracle. So if God is still saving people, which is, would, to me, would be the hardest miracle, right? Uh, can't he heal people also? Absolutely. So God is still working miracles. So here at Trinity, if you are in need of a miracle in your life, not a, not a quick fix, not an easy way out, right? But a true, bona fide, New Testament miracle. We want to stand in faith and believe God with you. You see, if, you're, if you've been diagnosed with terminal illness we want to believe God that God can heal that cancer we want to stand in faith with you as you walk through the process of of healing however God chooses to heal you through modern medicine or a divine miracle of healing we want to stand and encourage you and believe God with you you see if your marriage is on life support and and maybe it's on its last leg we want to believe God with you that God can resurrect your marriage from that deathbed that God can restore uh, the years that the canker worm hath eaten and the caterpillar hath eaten and the locust hath eaten uh, we want to believe God with you. If you're going through financial struggles, uh, we have life groups, we have ministry opportunities, we have freedom ministry. If you're battling addiction, we will roll up our sleeves and get in the trenches with you and trust God with you and believe God with you and rebuke and fight the enemy in your life that's trying to bring you down and see a breakthrough happen in your life. We're committed to that. And we believe in miracles. And granted, I know the last 34 years of walking with Jesus, usually the miracles that the Lord has worked in my life, has always, they've always shown up in work clothes. 
What I mean by that is sometimes the miracles that God's brought into my life are the result of me changing my attitude and having a healthier mental attitude. Some, many times the miracles that God has performed in my life, they, they showed up by me having a better diet and, and exercising, uh, being quick to forgive and not harboring an offense or not living with ill will towards another, learning, learning by God's grace how to manage stress, how to cast my care upon the Lord because he cares for me. Uh, some, many of the miracles that God's performed in my life, they've come through daily discipline of reading the Bible, meditating upon Scripture day and night, uh, reading through the Bible, being involved in church, and, and connecting with others and, and having godly accountability in my life so that people of wisdom could speak into my life. You see, a miracle doesn't have to be spectacular to be extraordinary. A miracle doesn't have to be spectacular to be extraordinary. Sometimes the most extraordinary miracles in our life are not spectacular as we would define something spectacular. So don't go through life necessarily wanting miracles. Go through life being a miracle. Be one of the miracle workers of Jesus in the lives of others. Bring, uh, bring ease where there has been disease. Bring courage where others have been discouraged. Bring hope where others have experienced hopelessness. Bring direction in the lives of others who have been experiencing misdirection in their life. Be the extension of Jesus in someone else's life. Be the hands of Jesus. Be the feet of Jesus. Be the mouthpiece of Jesus. And as you strive in life to be a miracle in somebody else's life, you will always experience God's miracles in your life. Can we thank God for his miracle power? Amen. And then there's the message. What was the message that the apostles, the early apostles preached? Look at verse 17. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees. Now, there were Pharisees in the day of Jesus and the apostles, and there were Sadducees. They were, these were the most powerful religious leaders of, of their day. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Sadducees didn't believe in angels. Sadducees didn't believe in, in spirit uh, life form. So their term was very appropriate. They were Sadducees, you see? Because they didn't believe in the power of God. They had a form of godliness, but they had no power. They had the, the trappings of religion. They had the headgear. They had the garments. They had the titles. They had the positions. They had, they had the, the, the seats of high honor in the places of honor. They had the form of godliness, the, the picture frame, but no picture on the inside. And it says they were filled with jealousy. They were filled, these, these most powerful religious men of Peter's day were, were filled with jealousy. And so they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. And then he told them, here's what you need to know about angels. Angels are real. Angels appear throughout the Bible. As we get closer to the coming of Jesus, more angelic manifestations will occur. There are angels in this auditorium right now. If God could open our spiritual eyes, you would be able to see God's angelic force here. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord encamps around about those who fear him. There are many scriptures in the Bible that talk about the role of angels. They, they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. There are angels on assignment where your life is concerned right now. That's the beauty of God. That God is caring for you and he's caring for me through these angelic messengers. But the Bible's very clear that we're not to worship angels. We're not to try to name angels. You know, uh, we're not to, you know, tattoo our angel's name on our, our, on our body or something like that, okay? We're, we're, we're not to worship angels. We're to worship God. 
but we're going to share eternity with angels. So angels are absolutely awesome, but here's what you need to know about angels. Every time and any time they showed up in the Bible, any time they spoke, they got right to the point. They didn't, they didn't mess around. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have long paragraphs. They spoke in, in short words or short sentences. They got to the point, like you wish most pastors would do. I know, but, but I'm not an angel, okay? <laughs> so every time an angel appears, they get to the heart of the message, and they do it quickly, and they, and they do it uh, sternly. Look at verse 20. So the angel told them, this is cool. This is an angel being quoted by Luke in the Bible. This is cool. The angel said, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. Go to the temple and do what? Say it with me. Give the people this message of life. What's the message of Jesus? It's a message of life. In a world filled with death, in a world filled with decay, the message of Christianity, the message of the gospel is a message of life, the zoe of God. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You see, before you surrender your heart to Jesus, you don't have life. You're existing. All you are doing is surviving from day to day. But when we're introduced to the good news of Jesus Christ, and we receive Messiah into our hearts and lives, and we make Jesus the Lord of our life, we begin living. That's the first day of the rest of your life for all of eternity when you receive the life of God through Jesus. And that's the message. But here's something interesting. They were preaching the message of life, and the religious crowd wasn't happy with that. They were jealous of them. You know why so many people in our culture today attack Christianity and attack Christians? You know why? You know why, what it is? You know what's driving it? At the end of the day, there, there are many pathologies uh, into the, the evil, demented minds of unbelievers. And I was one of them till Jesus rescued me. You were one of them till he rescued you, right? One of the pathologies is jealousy. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that, jeal that, that jealousy is as cruel as the grave. It's one of the deadly, seven deadly sins, jealousy. And it says they were, they were jealous. Here are these, the most powerful religious, the most religiously powerful men of that day. They had positions of high power and authority. They could arrest people and kill people if they chose to, right? Uh, they had all the trappings of religion. They had, they had all the titles, right? They had a cush life. And here they are, jealous of these ex-fishermen. These unlearned, untrained ex-fishermen. What drives the hostility against Christianity in America today is jealousy. You see, the world looks at you and they want what you have, but they don't want what you have the way you have it. You see, they look at your life and they see, they, they see, they see, they see there's something different about you. They see there's something different about your marriage. They see that you are actually experiencing true intimacy in your marriage. They see that your life is truly defined by this thing that, 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 that eludes them called joy. They see that in your life you have genuine peace. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we have everything all together. But the Jesus factor in your life and my life makes all the difference in the world. And when the world looks at you and they see that you have something they don't have, and because they can't have it, because they don't want it the way you got it, 
They want the joy, they want the peace, they want the fulfillment, they want intimacy in marriage, but they don't want to have to go through Jesus. But the only way that you can have life, and the only way that you can have joy, and the only way that you can have peace, and the only way that you can have purpose in life is you have to come by way of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. But all that come to him, he will in no wise cast out, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the reality is they could have what you and I have, the love, the joy, the peace, the hope, they can have it because Jesus died for everyone. But they don't want it through Jesus. They want it without Jesus. But you can't have it without Jesus. So if they can't have what you have, then they want to tear down what you have. They want to assault what you have. Therein is the madness, the madness in our world, that our world has gone crazy. And, and, and our world is mad. And sometimes, because the world has the, there, there's what's called the course of this world. The prince and the power of the air is in charge of the, the course, the flow of this world. And everybody's going in this direction. And when you and I surrender our life to Jesus, we do a 180. We do an about face. And all of a sudden, we're going against the flow. We're going against the crowd. You see, as long as you're going with the flow... As long as you're thinking like everyone thinks, talking like everyone talks, believing like everyone believes, acting like everyone believes, you're part of that course of this world system. But once you decide to follow Jesus, you're now not like a dead fish floating downstream. You're now going in the opposite direction, and now you're going up against the flow, and that makes a lot of people feel really uncomfortable because as when a Christian shows up, we turn the light on, and the darkness is exposed. When a Christian shows up, we don't intentionally try to be obnoxious or annoying, but by the simple fact that you represent the life of Jesus and the, and, and the, and the work of Jesus in the earth today, you're going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. But that's okay. Here's what you need to know. You have not drunk the Kool-Aid. Help me, English teachers. Is it drunk or drank? You haven't, come on, some English teachers. Dr. Cox, you haven't drank the Kool-Aid. Look to your neighbor and say, you haven't drank the Kool-Aid. So don't drink the Kool-Aid. Everyone else in the world, they have drank or drunk, they're drunk on that Kool-Aid. <laughs> They've lost their mind. You've not lost your mind. Sometimes you wake up and the world's so crazy, you think, I've lost my mind. I'm here to tell you today, you have not lost your mind. Don't lose your mind. You are in the right state of mind. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not crazy. Tell them, you're not. You might feel like you are, but I, I know, I can look in your eyes, I can see you're not crazy. But the madness of the world is driven by jealousy. Wow, at the end of the day, right? But don't fret. See, the apostles are arrested because these religious leaders are jealous of them. And then what happens? God breaks them out of jail. <laughs> I know there, there's no jam God can't get you out of, right? I remember those old Western movies, you know, those old Western movies. The, the bad guy goes to town, right, and, and, he, and he causes trouble, so the sheriff arrests him. And, and he gets thrown in jail, but he, he's not sweating it. He's cool, calm, and collect. You know what? He knows his boys are going to show up. And when his boys show up, they're going to break him out of this jail. There ain't no jail that can keep me, right? So he just like has a, a siesta, a good night's rest, because he knows his boys are coming to town. And his boys show up. And what do they do? They ride their horses to the back of the jail. They tie a rope around that iron bar window, right? And then they fasten that to the horse. 
and then the horse is so strong, not only does the horse pull the, the, the iron bar window, it pulls the entire wall down. <laughs> and the bad guy walks out. His boys hand him his gun. He jumps on his horse, and they're gone, right? Ain't no jail that can hold him back. When you get arrested and, and you're doing the will of God, or you find yourself in a prison of your own making or a prison not of your own making, because, see, there are prisons that people will find themselves in. Prisons of despair, prisons of fear, prisons of addiction, prisons of bondage, prisons of grief, prisons of hopelessness. And here's what I want you to know. There's no prison that you may find yourself in that God can't get you out of. Amen. He can break you out of jail. He can break you out of jail. I, I, I remember seeing a, a movie a few years back called The Next Three Days. And I thought, this is going to be an interesting movie because Gladiator was starring in it, Russell Crowe, right? So the, the movie was about this husband. He's a professor in a college, right? And he loved his wife, and his wife was accused of murder, and, and she went to trial, and she was convicted of murder and sent away. And he believed in his heart of hearts that she was innocent. And so he, he pursued all the legal courses, all the legal course, the legal course he pursued it uh, until door after door shut, until... The case was closed. He was not going to get an appeal. His wife was going to go to the penitentiary. So he did something. He devised a plan to break his wife out of jail. And as I was watching that, I was watching it through the eyes of a husband. And I thought, how much do I love Gloria? <laughs> she was thrown in jail. And I knew she was innocent. Would I devise a plan to break her out of jail? I thought, that's love. Because he had a chance. His wife was away for life. He met another nice woman, you know. He could have said, well, I get rid of the first one. Here's the second one. Now let's, let's go. But he didn't even give this second one a, a, like a second look, right? And then he realized they were going to transport her, and he had three days to break her out. Hence the title of the movie, Next Three Days, right? And lo and behold, I won't tell you the story, right? But they end up in Venezuela together with their small son. What a love story. And I thought, the extremes that this man was willing to go through to get his wife back. And I thought, the extremes that God was willing to go through to get his church, to get his bride, to get you out of sin, out of bondage, so that you could be a part of his, his, his eternal kingdom forever and forever. He sent his only begotten son to bust you out of jail. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm free. And say, I'm going to stay free. I mean, if Jesus lets you out of prison, you don't want to go back to prison. Amen. Amen. So that's how much God loves you. God loves you like he loves Peter. Listen, you know, Peter was indestructible. The disciples were unstoppable and undefeatable until they finished their course, until they finished their race. You are unstoppable and undefeatable until you finish your course with Jesus. You cannot be stopped. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't be stopped. Come on, you can't be stopped. The only one that can stop you is yourself. You see, you and I can cut short the plan of God for our life. We can cut short our life even. We talked about that last week, right? But we don't want to do that. We want to stay on mission for Jesus. And as long as you and I are doing God's work, God's way, performing God's will, you're, the devil cannot cheat you of one single day that's been allotted to you by the grace of God. So they were set free. Look at verse 21. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, and as they were told, immediately began teaching. And when the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council 
the full assembly of elders of Israel, and then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. The Bible has humor in it, and Luke uh, contains this, these details so that we can see that God has a sense of humor. Imagine all these big overweight, you know, religious guys, you know, they put all their religious garb on, garb on, and they had like a big breakfast probably that morning, and they finally arrived early in the morning, they sat in their seats and said, okay, all right, bring the prisoners in. So the, the jailer goes to get them, and, and when he comes back, uh, they're gone. They're gone. So verse 23, he says, the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. Surprise, surprise, right? Verse 24. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. So here's the madness. Here's the madness. Instead of pausing long enough to think how these guys get out there, there are actual miracles that are being performed by these guys i mean this guy's shadow is healing people people with demons are being delivered we've never seen anything like this and now they're breaking out of jail in the middle of the night hey guys we need to we need to investigate maybe this jesus stuff is is really there's something behind it no they didn't they didn't do that they were so filled with the the, the maddening effects of jealousy and pride and deception, they continued to pursue. Look at verse 27. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. And here's what they said. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? They won't mention Jesus. They refer to him as this man or him or he. Watch, watch, watch. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? He demanded. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death? But Peter and the apostles replied, say this with me, say this with me, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And then he goes on in verse 30, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus. Ah, he said it. He didn't call him a him or an it or his he called him by his name. And what's his name? The most powerful name, say it with me. It's the name of Jesus. At the mention of that name, angels stand to attention. At the mention of that name, demons tremble in fear. Once again, what is that name? Jesus. How God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. Who is Jesus? Jesus is prince and savior. Say that with me. Prince and and Savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey Him. Jesus, who is He? You see, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Peter's day, they had mistaken the identity of who Jesus is. So many people in our world today mistake the identity of who Jesus is. Many people see Him as a Him, or an It, or a His. They see him as a good man, or they see him as a teacher. They see him as a philosopher. They see him as a prophet, but he's so much more than that. He is the prince, and he is the savior. Please do not mistake his identity. The apostles did not mistake the identity of who Jesus was and is and forever will be. How many of you ever had somebody mistake your identity? They thought you were somebody that you weren't. Anybody ever have somebody mistake your identity? Somebody thought you were somebody that you really weren't? You know, the other day I was at, uh, I was at uh, Market Street, 
and these two very nice ladies, they're getting ready to check out, right? And they looked at me and they smiled and they said, hello, Jay. <laughs> and, 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 and I was in a hurry and I kind of thought I knew who they were referring to. A personal friend of mine that used to be on staff here, one of our former associate pastors. And uh, I, I, just, I just said, hello, and I just kept walking. I'm like, I'm not even going to get into that. I just, I'm in a hurry. But, just... but the very next day, you know, there's an old saying, if someone calls you a donkey, ignore them. But if two more people call you a donkey, go buy a saddle. You know, that's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so uh, the very next day, I, I'm like getting some tea, you know, at uh, McAllister's. And there was this group of ladies, and one lady turned to me with a big smile on her face, very sweet, very nice. She goes, hi, Jay. I'm like, man, what's different lady? What's going on here? I said, this time I'm going to say something. I said, uh, I'm not Jay. Oh, you're not Jasmine's father? I'm like, no, no, I'm not Jasmine. No, Jasmine's a beautiful young woman. She was, her and Tanner were married on Friday. They're TCS graduates, and all, and and, and Jasmine's father, Pastor Jay, did the ceremony, and I was there, and I'm thinking the whole time, do I look like him? <laughs> and I went home and I told my wife, I said. I wasn't going to mention anything, but like two days in a row, people have come up to me and they've called me Jay. She goes, really? I said, yes. I said, I don't look anything like him. I'm taller than him, number one. <laughs> and then my wife thinks I'm better looking than him, number two. <laughs> but people were mistaking my identity. What, just because two guys have dark hair and darker skin, do we all look alike? You know what I'm talking about? Hello, what's up? <laughs> it's no fun when somebody mistakes you somebody else they got it wrong right sometimes we even mistake our own identity we're under the illusion that we're something that we're really not I said sometimes we mistake our own identity and we're under the illusion that we are something or someone that we really aren't and it's not until we come in contact with our loving Heavenly Father and someone reminds us you have your father's eyes you have your father's eyes you, I see your father in you. Oh, I'm not talking about your earthly father. I'm talking about your heavenly father. And then you discover your true identity of who you are. Because until you know who Jesus is, you'll never know who you are. But when you and I discover who Jesus is, then we discover who we are in Christ and we nail our identity once and for all. Come on, church, can we thank God that we can know who we are in Christ? Oh, verse 33, when they heard this, the high council was so furious, they decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law, respected by all the people, stood up and he ordered that all the men be sent out of the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow, uh, Thaddeus, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice, here's my advice. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own. It will soon be overthrown. Everything that man is doing apart from God will one day be overthrown. But if it's from God, 
you will not be able to overthrow them. If you and I are doing God's work, God's way, according to God's will, you cannot be overcome. They cannot overthrow us. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. You know, when people fight against you and you're on mission for Jesus, they're really not fighting against you. They're fighting against God. And how many know if God is for you, then who could be against you? And how many know in God you cannot be defeated? Shameless plug for next weekend Father's Day message, special message, okay, called the underdog principle. You're, gonna want to, you're not going to want to miss it. The underdog principle. When the odds are against you, God is for you. I can't wait. Look at verse 40. Look at verse 40. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles, had them, what? Flogged. Say flogged. They beat him with a cat of nine tails, 40 stripes minus one. Flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The miracle, the message, the madness, the Messiah. Here's how it ends. Look at verses 41 and 42. The apostles left the high council complaining, moaning, griping, calling for their lawyers to file a lawsuit, talking about social injustice. No, 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 no. The apostles left the high council. What? Excuse me, am I reading this right? They just got beaten for their faith. They were imprisoned and beaten for the faith, and they leave how? Rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. In verse 42, let's read this out loud together. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Say it with me again. Jesus is the Messiah. One more time, church. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Prince. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. And He's the soon coming King. Can we thank Him? Can we thank Him? We thank you, Lord. We love you today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, help us today. Help us when we are misunderstood, our identity is mistaken, when people come against us because of our faith and love for you. Help us, God, when we at times may endure suffering and persecution for Christ's sake. Help us, Lord, to respond even as the disciples responded. Help us to rejoice. Help us, Lord, not to hate our enemies, but to love them, to kill them with kindness, to heap coals of fire upon their head as we respond the Jesus way. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would now speak to the hearts of each and every one that's here. I pray that my words that have been spoken today would fall on deaf ears, but I pray that your word, God, would find a home in our hearts and that the seed of God's word would be planted deep in the hearts of your people and it would produce some 30, some 60, some 100-fold a harvest in their lives. Lord, personalize this message and allow each of us to take home exactly what you want us to take home from this message today. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you could know his love, grace, and forgiveness. You say, how? By simply opening up your heart and inviting the Prince and Savior into your life. You say, how do I do that? The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So say this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?